Lender. And uh, glad to have you here. It's a little, little cold and windy out there. Xander's introduction said we're talking about who we are in Christ. But who are we? I mean, just as a person, who are you? What, what, how do you define yourself? How do you, when you start to think about it, it's kind of hard to, to describe who I am. I mean, I'm a, a good-looking guy with a lovely beard. You know, but wh- who, who are you? Are you your family? Is it your heritage, your, your, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, uh, when they came to this country, when they came to this continent, you know, was that, is that who you are? Or is it your level of education, whether you've got a PhD or public school education? Is, does that define who you are? They're, they're characteristics of you, I suppose, but does that define you? Um, is it your role in life? whether you're married or whether you're single, whether you're a wife or a husband or a parent or a child, is, is that what makes you you? It's a contributing factor, I guess, but it's, it's just part of it. Is it your job? Is it your job that whether you're a, a lawyer or an accountant or a, a, a road worker or, or whatever it might be, does that define who you are? Well, it can't be that because if you lose your job, you don't lose your identity. I hope. You don't cease to be just because you lose your job. Is it, is it your good looks? Is it because is, is you play sports really well? You know? Last week we talked about, as, as Xander said, we talked about uh, adoption. I want to explore a little bit more this week about who you are really. It's a passage beginning, it's just in the second half of um, uh, Ephesians 1. So if you can start to turn to it in your Bibles, if you, <clears throat> if you brought a Bible with you. It's, it's a, actually a kind of a tricky passage, and it's translated very, very differently in, in different translations. And so I'm going to go from the, the um, NIV translation, because based on my study of the wording behind it, it seems to me like it's, it's most faithful to the intent of it. I'm not saying that the others aren't, but when you translate anything, you always end up with a little bit of your own pre-bias in it. So let's just read the passage together. In him, that is, in God, we also were, cho- we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel Of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, that is, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incompa- incomparable 
great power for those who believe. That the, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Let's just pray. Father, um, thank you so much for... uh, us being here today, thanks that the weather was manageable this morning, open our hearts and our minds that we can hear your word, hear your spirit speaking to us, that we can understand more clearly a little bit of who we are in Jesus Christ, having accepted him. And if there are any who, who don't know him as their savior, I pray that uh, this message would help them to understand a little bit more about what that means. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, some of the reminder of some of the things. It, it's, Ephesians is a book that is it's very woven together in, in, in all kinds of ways. Um, there are threads in this book about God's plan. The, the fact that he has a plan and he's executing it. Uh, to, that the plan is to unite all things in heaven and earth together. We covered that verse last week. Uh, there's the thread of the headship of Jesus Christ. There's the threadship of our rich identity in him. And there's the thread of the work of the Holy Spirit throughout this. Last week, Xander started the series by reminding us that God chose us from the beginning of the world, from the very beginning of time, before the world was found, we were chosen in him. Uh, in love, he had called us to be adopted into his family. And in him, and him only, can we be redeemed from the penalty that uh, from, from death, we, we, from, only in him can we, re, we, re, we be redeemed from death. Sorry. And importantly, he made known to us the mystery of his will. This is something that's been hidden for years. Yeah, if you look at the Old Testament, you get hints and understanding of it. But it's hidden. It's difficult to understand. And now in Jesus Christ, it, it, uh, the purpose of his will becomes apparent. And the purpose of that will is to bring all things in heaven and earth together under Christ. And so he continues in this passage, uh, verse 11. Now he continues and says, uh, we are chosen in him. And in fact, I know some of you use electronic Bibles on your phone and so on. That's great to carry around. The, the bad thing about that is it's really hard to underline. Okay? Now, some of the apps... I, 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 because I, I was playing with this. Some of the apps you can do it with, you know, but they, they choose a verse and the whole thing underlines. You can't just underline individual words. And more to the point, you can't draw, take, circle this word here and this word here and draw a line between them. I don't know whether you do that in your Bibles. I do it in mine because it's so much in, interwoven. One of the things you need to do with the, in the book of Ephesians is go through and find all of the places where it says in him or in Christ or in Jesus or in Christ Jesus and talks about who we are in Christ. You know, because we always think about Jesus in us. You know, you learn in Sunday school, you know, I, I, I asked Jesus into my heart, and Jesus comes and lives in my heart. And that's true, but just as true, or even more so, over 40 times in the book of Ephesians, he talks about his being in Christ, in him. 
So this is your exercise for this afternoon. Go back and underline all, all of those in, in the book and, and think about some of them. So, uh, but in him we were chosen. That may be specific or it may be general because God has this plan that he is going to bring heaven and earth together on this earth. He's going to bring the two together and that we are chosen to be part of that. That's part of his will. We as, as his chosen people, as a congregation. You know, so often in this, in, I've said this before, so often in, in this culture, we think very much about me. I'm chosen. I'm this. I'm that. I'm, and we think about salvation as being a solitary activity. It's me and my relationship with God. Well, it is that, but much more than that, it's also me and my relationship with all of you people. We're a community. We're a family of believers. And there is something different about worship. And I, I, I have worship songs that I listen to and I like to, to, to well, sing quietly along to because I'm a miserable singer. But, um, but there's something different about when we gather together to worship together, to honor him together, to praise him together, where we each lift each other up and, it's, and join. And so, so there's this, this uniqueness. So we're, we're called according to his purpose and his will as a group of believers, we are chosen in him. And the purpose is for his praise and glory, to honor God, to honor Jesus, to honor what he's done. Now, you'll notice that he says, we are chosen. He's referring to himself and his, his Jewish friends and the, that the, the, early, and the very early believers who have come from Jerusalem and, and, uh, and Judea and are now starting to spread the gospel. He's saying, we were chosen. We were chosen. God called us. We were chosen for his purpose and will, for his glory. But now you, notice he switches over and uses the word here, you were also included when you believed, when you accepted him, when you trusted him, when you put your faith in him. You also were included when you believed. So now we've got we and you, and then he's going to go on and say, uh, talk about the Spirit. He says, you were sealed with the Spirit, the same Spirit that we received. Do you remember back in the book of Acts when Peter went uh, to, um, I guess, who's coming to lunch at Cornelius' house? Okay. And, and, uh, and what shocked Peter about it wasn't that they listened to the good news. What shocked Peter was the Holy Spirit came on them. And... and Peter was sort of stuck with this, if God is doing this, who am I to deny it kind of thing. But it was a shocking thing. And he's reminding, so Paul is now here reminding these uh, Ephesian believers that you were sealed in him. You were received the deposit of the Holy Spirit, which is a seal, it's a mark. Now, um, today, and seal is not the, the little funny animal that's running around. It's a seal. If you ever see a contract, uh, um, sometimes they have these, these, these little sticky seals that go on them, and the idea is that they're supposed to be removed. A long time ago, they used to use wax and seal it, or you could seal a letter, and you would, you would seal it, and then you would stick your signet ring into the wax and would put your impression on it that this officially came from you. Um, nowadays, what happens with a contract is uh, if you sign a contract, you sign it under seal. So you sign the document, and then the paper where your signature is is put into a little machine which crimps down and embeds, uh, twists the paper and, and embeds a, uh, an image in the paper by, by lifting it up um, that 
distorts the paper a little bit. The signature is still visible, but the, 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 it is now changed, the paper is now changed because it is under seal. The, the, the paper is actually uh, deformed to have this pattern in it. That's kind of the idea. Because when you're sealed in the Spirit, yes, it's God's signature, but you can't, nothing can take that signature away. And nothing can change that signature because it is under that seal. If you ever tried to do your signature on a, with, a, with a, a pen or a pencil on a piece of bumpily paper, on a piece of corrugated cardboard, it's really difficult to do because your pencil is going up and down and up and down, and it distorts it. But once it is signed and then sealed, it is changed forever. That paper is changed forever. You can't iron it back out. And so that idea of a seal, that when you believed in, in Christ, you were sealed in him. The stamp of him, he is, stamp of his presence is on you, and you are forever changed because of that. And that's the guarantee. That's why it's a guarantee, because nothing can take that seal away. Nothing can take it off. Nothing can break it. And it's until our, you and we, it's until our redemption in him. Now, if you look at all of this, you know, I, I know some of the translations use the word inheritance in here, but inheritance has kind of two connotations. One is the connotation of, oh, look, good, good what I get. I'm going to get this when my father dies. I'm going to, whatever it may be, you know. When somebody dies, I'm going to get my inheritance. But this is inheritance we have now, and so it is more about our pos- position in Christ. It's more about us being his possession as belonging to him. When you, when you go back and look at the Greek, uh, the word uh, that's used here, the root of it is chosen, is, is being chosen in him um, and selected. And so the idea here is not all these wonderful things that we have and look at how wonderful we are, I've got a pretty face and a new seal and all this sort of stuff. It's that we belong to him, we're part of him. I was trying to think about how to try and illustrate this and the idea came to me of Team Canada. Team Canada is a bunch of people who are chosen not to represent themselves, not to be themselves, but to be a a community, a team that pulls together to represent the one who called them. That is Canada. Okay? They don't go out there for their own glory. And it's not being on Team Canada, yes, it's an honor for them, but it's not something that, 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 that they... Uh, can particularly take glory. They take glory only in the team effort. And so, in the same sense, we're chosen in him. The inheritance is because we are his possession. And we are, if I can use this term, team Jesus. We are team Jesus. We are here to do his will. We are here to do his purpose. We are here to represent him. And that's the inheritance we have. We have the privilege, the tremendous privilege of representing him, of being the way in which he is going to act and bring about his will in this world to the praise of his glory. That's what, the, that's what this concept is, is talking about here. So, now given that, what do we need to know to do that? Well, Paul branches immediately into prayer. And if ever there was a sermon that had its points laid out for it. This is one of them, you know, because Paul just kind of dump, dumps it straight out there. He prays for, for the believers there, and I think it's something that all of us believers need. We need wisdom, we need revelation, and we need enlightened hearts. Wisdom. 
He prays that we would have a spirit. And some translations put the spirit in the capital S, but there's no the or a in the Greek. It's just we'll have spirit. So I think it makes more sense if it's a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom. First of all, what is wisdom? I mean, we, we, you kind of have an idea of what that wisdom is, but unless you really think about it, well, when you really think about it, it's kind of hard to define, isn't it? What constitutes it? We all would like to have more wisdom. but So let me give you a definition I found. Um, it's factual insight. Factual knowledge, excuse me. Factual knowledge. So knowing the facts of the situation, knowing what's really happening, plus spiritual insight. What's behind this? How does this fit into God's plan? So it's factual knowledge plus spiritual insight plus situational insight. What's going on in this situation? What is the, the bigger situation in which this, this, whatever it is, I have to have wisdom to make some decision. I have to have wisdom to do something or other. It's situational insight as well into the big picture and the small picture and the details, the people and all of those things involved. Plus the necessary resolve to do it. Okay, so it's factual knowledge, understanding what's going on, spiritual insight, understanding God's purpose, situational insight, which is, you know, what's, the, the, what's behind the situation, and necessary resolve. If you have the first three, if you understand what it's all about, and you have the spiritual insight to, to, uh, to perceive what's going on behind and you have the situational insight to know how whatever your decision is going to be is going to affect yourself and everybody around you and the whole church, but you don't have the resolve to do it, then the Bible has a technical term for you in the Old Testament. He calls you a fool. Because unless you, you know, any, anybody who's got wisdom and knows what to do but doesn't do it, what else would you call them but a fool? So we need, we need that kind of wisdom. How do you get that kind of wisdom? You value it, Proverbs 4, verse 8. You ask for it. If you don't have it, you can ask for it in prayer. You can pursue it. In other words, make it a, a, a goal to try and learn and to understand and, and, and gain it. Um, and you gain it in the scriptures by reading God's word, by understanding it, by reading commentaries to get a deeper understanding, by participating in Christian activities and conferences, listening to sermons or, or uh, cod, podcasts. Uh, by walking with wise teachers in the view of eternity, relating everything in your life back to Christ, and ultimately by submitting your wisdom to God's wisdom. It's not what you think. It's not what you feel best. It's what he says. That's got to be the, the ultimate, the trump card. So we need wisdom. We need that understanding. But more than that, or as much as that, maybe let me say, we need revelation. We need to hear what God is saying. Now, I'm not saying that we get revelation, that we get uh, new translations of the Bible or, or new, not even, not even that, new, um, new words from God in terms of, of uh, changing the way history is going to work or, or that sort of thing. But revelation that comes from meditation, that comes from listening to him. Because I think that, I, I, I believe strongly in my heart, that God will, will bring things to mind, will give you insight into things that you might not have thought of, things where you need to to make a change in your life. Some examples of that kind of revelation. You ever read through the Bible and just reading along, you know, not just, just trying to read along, 
and just some verse or some phrase just kind of jumps out at you. When that happens, stop and think on it and meditate on it. God is speaking to your heart. Um, one, once upon a time, many, many years ago, I was Sunday school superintendent of this church. And um, it was in the summer. And uh, I just, well, I was praying about Sunday school and trying to think about what, how Sunday school was going to go. We had about 16 or 17 kids in Sunday school at that point. And as I was praying, I thought, this Sunday school should be 35 or 40 kids. And, you know, it just, we didn't have the kids to, you know. But anyway, it was just, so I actually prepared Sunday school that year based on that. And by February, we had about 40 kids in Sunday school. I didn't, it wasn't anything I did, but God had spoken and prepared in my heart to prepare me for that, okay? Not a big revelation. It's not, you know, didn't change the world or anything like that. But God will speak to you. Stop and meditate on him. Take your time in prayer with him. Listen to him. Be quiet with him. Learn to recognize his voice. That reading through the scriptures and, and, and hearing where he uh, um, stops you is a good way to start to hear God's voice. Because uh, if you're hearing God's voice, it will align with scripture. It will go along with scripture. So we need Wisdom. Paul prays for their, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation as they're listening to him. And he also prays that they, then he turns around and he prays that they would have enlightened hearts. Hearts that are a new way of looking at things, of seeing spiritual realities. The heart is not just the seed of the emotions. But, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, you know, somebody broke your, you know, my girlfriend or my boyfriend broke my heart or this kind of thing. That's an emotional response. And it, 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 it is there as well. But it's also, biblically, it's also the, the seat of our thoughts and our will. So again, not just what we think, but what we do with what we think is important. And so we're called to know him better. And, and Paul gives us three places where he wants us to know him better. Things that we need to understand. And these are key to our identity. First of all, he wants you to know the hope to which he has called you. That hope is a confident expectation. It's a firm assurance regarding things that are unclean or unknown, unclear or unknown. It's, it's, um, it's not, I hope the Senators win tonight. I don't even know whether they're playing tonight. Or, I hope the Leafs win, or if you're from Toronto. Um, or whatever, it, you know, it's not just a, a, a vague hope. It's a, this is happening, and I'm waiting for it to happen. This has been promised. I'm waiting for it to happen. I'm looking forward to that. Christian hope is rooted in faith, in the divine salvation. It's brought into being through the presence of the promised Holy Spirit. That's from Romans 8, 24, 25. What is it? I just wrote down a bunch of things that the, 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 that hope to which he's called us. It's the future hope of resurrection from the dead. That our bodies will be resurrected from the dead. It's our hope that the promises of Israel will come to pass. The promises made to Israel will come to pass. It's our hope that of the redemption of the body and of the whole creation, that God is working even now to redeem us and to redeem creation and transform us. It's the hope that we will have eternal glory with him. It's our hope to have eternal life and inheritance in the saints. It's not, these are promised by God. These are not just, I hope maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. This is, these are based on God's assurances. The hope 
of the return of Christ. We, we sang, was it the first song or the second song? Anyway, was about the return of Christ. Looking forward to that. The second song, okay. Um, it's our hope that we are being transformed day by day into the likeness of Christ. It's our hope in the salvation of God. Those who hope in Christ will see Christ exalted in life and in death. It's based on trustworthy promises from God that give us our hope and that we can also boast in the hope that we have because it's not boasting in us, it's boasting in him who is greater than us, who has called us to follow him. But then he calls us also to unknow the riches of his glorious possession, of his glorious inheritance. But it has to do with our being his possession. That is our relationship with him. He has adopted us, so we have this inheritance with him, in him, but he's not going to die, so we're not going to get this at some point in the future. It's now that we have it. We have this, this um, inheritance that is a participation in God's work. He has called us as a family, as a community, as individuals, to walk with him and to do his work day by day. Whatever that is that he calls us to. That's saying hi to somebody at the bus stop. It's being kind to someone. It's giving offerings to the, and help to the poor. It's helping other people uh, with whatever they're struggling. It's shoveling your neighbor's, neighbor's driveway at this time. Of year, or whatever that may be. Whatever way you can bless people. Participation in God's work. It's imperishable. The work that we do, the riches that he's called us to are imperishable. It's not like gold and silver which can be stolen or can, can, uh, can um, oxidize. And, and rust is the word the Bible uses for it. Um, but it's imperishable. It's not subject to corruption or decay. It's an unspoiled inheritance. It's an unspoiled uh, perishing. It's because it comes in Christ. And Christ is completely unspoiled and sinless. It's preserved for those who are his children. It's preserved for us, from Romans 8, 17. It's given to us by grace. Marjorie's going to talk about more, more about that next week. That's in chapter 2. So he calls us to understand his, the hope that, he, that he's called us to, the riches of his glorious possession, and his incomparably great power to us. This is power that is not for us not for our glory. It's not so that we can do magical tricks or heal people or, or, or change things like that. It's a power so that through all that we do for him, whether we feel like it or whether we don't feel like it, whether we see ourselves succeeding or whether we don't see ourselves succeeding, that his power is flowing through us as we're obedient to him and is accomplishing his will in his way in his time. We may not see it. We may not be aware of it, but it's there. It struck me in reading this that I was, I was you know, the, the example of power he gives, he goes on to say, this is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Well, if I wanted to think about God's greatest power, the greatest power that he had, by natural means, I would think of creation of the world, right? The creation of the universe. I mean, you know, what's, what's bigger than that? But think about when he raised Christ from the dead. This had been predicted in the Old Testament. Satan knew about this. At the resurrection of Christ, all the powers and all the focus of hell, of Satan, of all of his demons, was focused on stopping that event from happening. 
all the power of God. That's the battle. And so, it, so everything that was against us was against him rising. Satan knew the, the predictions. Satan knew. He was, he's not a dummy. He knew what was happening. I mean, he went back and tried to, to, to destroy it right at the beginning of Christ's ministry, didn't he? In the wilderness. Wasn't successful there. So he, now is the time, and he focuses all his opposition against God. And so this is the greatest exhibit of God's power. We need to understand that, to understand the greatness of what he did in Christ and what he's done in our lives as well. As I said, this power is so that we can do his will, follow what he wants, and and know that we have the power to do whatever it is he calls us to do. Maybe not what we want to do, because we want the situation to go well. We want people to, to, to fall down on their knees and say, praise God, and, 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 and come to Christ. But sometimes people take a long time to do it. You have almost certainly, everybody here, almost certainly, as a relative or a friend or someone in their family who doesn't know God, and you're praying every single day for them. Okay? It's, it's, it's almost inevitable. It may not be happening in the way you want. It may not be happening in the timing that you want. But trust that God is at work. Trust that he's at work, and his power through your prayers is going to affect the situation. We may not see it, but that is the hope we have. So, wrapping it up. We are Team Jesus. We are called to be his inheritance, to be his possession, to accomplish what he wants. He has a purpose. It's very clear in this passage. He has a purpose. He's thought about it. It's his will. He's planned it out in advance. He has a purpose, and we are his means of accomplishing it. We are Team Jesus. We are Team Jesus. He has given us what we need. He has given us the opportunity to know him better. He has given us the hope to keep us going so that it's not hopeless What we're doing, there is a hope out there. There's something to follow. He has given us a richness of belonging to him. And he's given us power for the purpose that he's he's put before us. Know these things. Know that this is the position you have in Christ. As we move through the book of Ephesians, we're going to come back to, to, to build on these truths. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened to see this. I want to close with a quote from Carolyn Ahrens. She's a Canadian, BC-based singer-songwriter and author. Uh, she wrote, in, she had a, used to have a column in Christianity Today. And in her last, at the end of her last column in Christianity Today, she wrote this. Let us swim, she's talking about life, let us swim, not only in the sea of our own understanding, of our own words and ideas about God, but also in his fathomless ocean of love. I'll read that again. Let us swim not only in the sea of our own understanding, of our own words, and our own ideas about God, but also in his fathomless ocean of love. Lord, help us to do just exactly that, to live that way, knowing that we belong to you, that we are your team, that you are working, using us to bring about your purpose and your will. Help us to be obedient. Thank you for these assurances. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.